Okay, episode two of three in our Memorial Day weekend podcast release. So in this episode, I am going to read to you a, a little short piece that a friend of mine sent my way, um, his Memorial Day weekend message, and and honor three people that, that he wanted to be honored this Memorial Day. And, and then we talked to, Johnny and I talked to Dr. Kevin Kirk, who is an orthopedic surgeon, down in San Antonio, Texas. He and Johnny worked together while Johnny was at the Center for the Intrepid. Um, and, and Dr. Kirk just has a nutty story or two to, to tell y'all. And, and we wanted, we didn't want this whole episode um, podcast, these podcasts to be just somber all the time. And so we wanted to try to mix in just some nutty stories to I guess to entertain you a little bit, um, but also to maybe give you a bit of perspective on what some of our service members do day in and day out, regardless of their occupation within within the military. So anyhow, this message I have here is from a friend of mine growing up. His name's Will Quayar. Will and I, Will was a year behind me in school, um, so we grew up playing sports together, especially like basketball and, and baseball. Um, Will went on to serve in the Marine Corps, I believe right out of high school. I'm not sure what rank um, or title that he held. I do know at some point he was a drill instructor, so there's that. I don't know I don't know if he was part of the Hollywood Marines out in San Diego or he was part of the real Marines that, that Zach went through out on the East Coast. I don't get into that stuff. Those things are... It's about like the abbreviations within the military. Kind of, kind of goes over my, my bald head. Um, at any rate, wanted to just I, I had reached out to Will because I thought you know he he might have some people that he would allow me to to honor on this on this podcast. And so he sent me a message that it's it's out there publicly. He he put it out there just a couple days ago, and, and he just directed me to this message and I, and I told him that I would that I would read it so I, I just really I'm gonna read it basically verbatim what he said I, his words are better than mine could be that's for sure so he starts off by saying my Memorial Day weekend message and, and I was struck me struck immediately by the inclusion of weekend you know you oftentimes just hear Memorial Day but but this is really more of a weekend celebration um, it's kind of encompasses Saturday Sunday and Monday in in many in many circles. So so I was I was struck by that initially. Um, and he says this is what we do. We honor the dead. There were many that didn't make it back to the homeland alive during this war and others. Today we enjoy our time because of their ultimate sacrifice. Though I've chosen to speak publicly or to share publicly um, this Memorial Day weekend about three Marines, that, that does not un- undermine all the others who have paid the ultimate price with their lives to give us the freedoms that we have. He says, that's why my motto is, it's not about you. So today and throughout the weekend, I will have a few drinks for my brothers and sisters that could not be here. And I want to extend my highest gratitude to the Gold Star families and others that are not fortunate to have their hero home with them. Giving a loved one a flag as a token of appreciation for service and sacrifice is not an easy task, and I've felt firsthand the pain that families go through. 
I and many of my Marines have experienced this act. Today, Monday, is for them. I honor the fallen very seriously, and I know they are high above looking down and telling me to have a drink for them. May you rest in peace, Marines, and all service members who paid the ultimate sacrifice. I've buried many servicemen, but I take this moment to speak about these three. Staff Sergeant Jordan Phillips died March 23, 2003, in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom, just shortly after completing his duty as a Marine drill instructor. I was a drill instructor at the time of his death, so it really hit home. He had just left the drill field months prior. Pictured, this is um, associated with some pictures on Will's Facebook page, he says, pictured, I'm pointing at Staff Sergeant Phillips' name on a memorial at Strawberry Park in Pasadena, Texas. Strawberry Park in Pasadena, Texas is a, a big park. This is literally just right, right around the corner from, from my house. Um, and a very, very just well-known kind of place where kids always, you know, played sports and whatnot down in Pasadena. So I'm going to know exactly where, exactly where Will's talking about. Uh, this Staff Sergeant Jordan Phillips had played football at, at Clear Creek High School and, and had to wait until the age of 27 to join the Corps after a battle of, with Hodgkin's disease. So... That's number one. The second person that, that Will would like to honor is First Sergeant Chris Carlisle. Retired March 4th, 2016 with two Purple Hearts for being wounded in action in Iraq and Afghanistan. He died a year later on August 18th, 2017 during a warrior-built motorbike event. He and Will attended drill instructor school together and competed on the drill field for the highest drill scores. When he left the island, he was the record holder for drill. Will says he spent many evenings with this hero. Third is Sergeant Matthew Tafoya, died June 21st, 2014. He was the last Marine that died during my service of 20 years. I retired a year later. During his last year, he spearheaded efforts in collecting over 20,000 toys in support of Toys for Tots for the South Texas sector and giving to the kids, giving the kids toys that they didn't expect to receive as Christmas presents. Then Will says, just three of many stories. Honor the dead. They died for us. It's that simple. We owe their loved ones that gratitude. So you won't hear me say some crap about not having a good time this weekend. These three warriors would want me like many others, to enjoy the weekend and pay respects. Rest in peace, Marines. You kept us safe and provide us with the freedoms we have during during day-to-day simple tasks. Please enjoy the weekend and have fun. The legacy lives on. Very respectfully, Raider 8. Thanks, Will, for for sending that my way. I, I appreciate it, and um, I'm honored to be able to share the stories of those those Marines. On our podcast now, we're gonna kick it over to a little transition, like a little little noise from Jimmy McKay that he made for us, and then we'll and then we'll get to Johnny and and, and myself talking to Dr. Kevin Kirk. All right, welcome to another Orange Recovery Science podcast. This is our Memorial Day special series, Kyle. Throughout, um, 
several weeks ago that I think we should do something special for Memorial Day since we've kind of had a close tie with the military. And so I said, well, I know a lot of military people. And so I just want to bring on all my friends. And so today I've got a good friend, um, Lieutenant Colonel, right? Retired Lieutenant Colonel. Retired Lieutenant Colonel, yeah. Retired light Colonel, um, orthopedic surgeon extraordinaire, foot and ankle um, uh, surgeon, Dr. Kevin Kirk. Um, he's sick of this joke, but when I met him, he was Captain Kirk um, at one time. And so um, I, I'm sure he never wants to hear that one again. But anyways, um, we worked together at Brook Army Medical Center um, pretty much almost the entire time, I think. Um, when, when did you get there, Kevin? Um, 07. 07, okay. So I, yeah. I was five, and then we kind of both transitioned away around the same time. And so um, as a foot and ankle guy, Kevin was just seeing tons and tons of, of combat casualty because the lower leg was, was one of the most injured regions um, on, on the service member's body. Um, lots of salvage, lots of great foot and ankle cases, and unfortunately, lots of amputations. Um, but uh, we, we worked closely together, and, and it was an honor. So, Kevin, good to have you on, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. And so now, just to, to plug it, you're still here in San Antonio. Um, you're, you're with the, the biggest orthopedic group we have, uh, TSAOG, the, the empire that, that Burkhart built. Um, and so give us a little bit of what you're doing now and where you're yeah, at. Yeah, so, so I've been, I retired from the Army in 2013 and uh, actually have a brief reprieve up into Jersey for a year um, at Rutgers. But yeah. I had to get back into the heat and, and the sun, but not so recently, not so much sun down here. But uh, yeah, and then so I've been with the group for about seven years. Uh, it's private practice. Uh, I started off doing a lot more general than I was doing in the, in the Army, but uh, now kind of whittled the practice back down to like be, being able to do lower extremity type of work. And so it's been great. We have, you know, a lot of offices throughout the city, and uh, it's been a good team to be part of. Yeah, I mean, you guys are, you guys are taking over this entire area, so... Um... Anyone, anyone in San Antonio definitely knows your group and, and a lot of rock star surgeons there. And I guess I, I forgot this too, your prior uh, background, you, you, you went to the dark side because you used to be a physical therapist. I was. I, actually, that's I started off as a PT uh, in the Army, actually, and uh, spent my first three years uh, at Walter Reed. And it was actually, uh, you know, looking back, it was during the the desert storm time and I remember it was like oh I missed my opportunity like this is like I'm gonna get out and never see war or combat or anything like that and then um went from there to the Pentagon I ran the, the Evable Pentagon Clinic there so I, was, I kept kept that open for a while and it's always funny because at that point in time I think it was a lieutenant and like <laughs> all the uh, there's always only colonels and generals at the Pentagon and Coming up the elevator one day, the uh, one colonel said, Lieutenant, you must be lost because there's no lieutenants that work here in the Pentagon. <laughs> and so, and then I went to the clinic, but had a lot of, you know, was able to do really cool stuff. You know, a lot of the senior level officers are really uh, genuine gentlemen and had, you know, they're older, lighter, lighter part of their career. So, hopefully, been able to help them out. And then went to Tripler for a couple of years before. Yeah, I kind of said I fell on my head, and, and then 10 short years later, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. So, yeah. yeah. So, well, it's a good choice. You know, you don't miss just slumming away in the clinic as a, as a therapist versus, you know, making the oh, big I, I, I've, seen, I've seen pictures of your house, man. 
<laughs> you made the right decision. Yeah. Well, I'm, I remember, like, uh, I went back to Walgreen for my residency. And I remember, like, we had a fifth floor orthopedic PT clinic, and we had a main one on the third floor. I remember walking past there many times at five in the mornings, and what the hell did I do? <laughs> They're not coming in until eight o'clock. And, like, I'm here already for three hours. And, like, maybe I made the wrong career choice. But, no, it's been good. It's been a good good after after career outside the army as well so it's been good so kyle every now and then you know i kevin if there's any of the crummy cases that i want to see i'd just say like why don't you just freaking rehab them yourself pt <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like in the, one in stop the, shop yeah and the skill the skills have actually kind of been good because i, I chose to develop my practice here in san antonio on some of the you know, on the south side and west side so a lot of times people don't have uh, the resource to pay for their copay and you, you order the therapy and they just like, well, do I really have to? And I go, yeah, you got to do it. But then, you know, we have our exercise handouts and be able to instruct them on some at least basic things so they can kind of keep keep moving forward. So it's the nurses come get you on the floors and say, hey, um, Kevin, will you come do a transfer for us real quick? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> No, that's, that's fortunately, I'm, I'm too old for that bad. <laughs> Me too. I always was. Cool. Um, dude, the other story, I, I, it just hit me. You were going to try and go airborne first, right? But you were afraid of planes? No, no. So I did. I got over the fear of planes. And so I, I was like, uh, between my junior and sophomore, I mean, our sophomore and freshman and sophomore year of college, I went and I'd never been on an airplane before. I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. And they said, well, you can go to airborne school. I go, all right, that sounds good. I'm going to get some, you know, it's like a summer job. It's like three weeks. I get paid. You know, it shouldn't be. So the first time I was ever on an airplane is when I went to airborne school. And so, and I got up in the plane. It's like, I hope I like this. And it wasn't too bad. And then the next five times I was in an airplane, I jumped out. And so I got over my fear. It's a three-week just kind of like run, 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 and then just kind of find out how to walk out of airplanes. But then the thing that I didn't do is I thought I wanted to be an Army Ranger. So I did, I had like, I was gung-ho, I had the airborne, I was like, and then uh, spent like a, a summer in Fort Bragg and water up to my, my chest in a foxhole. And like, this isn't that much fun. I think I, think I might use that therapy degree and do something with it. So... Yeah, that was that was my infantry career. It was like uh, getting you know, like a little bit sore sitting in water for a while. And then you just became a wussy therapist. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool, man. So uh, Memorial Day, we want to we're you know honoring guys like you and, and all our other veterans and, and service members. A couple stories I remember that always stuck with me is one of them, I think it was your first deployment and you went to Afghanistan, you know, everyone was kind of going to Iraq and and as a scud or something popped in like right when you got there oh yeah so it was the 759 so it was like that was one of the bad things with them the airborne tab is because 759th was an airborne for forward surgical team so i get back down to fort bragg and all the young guys said hey man we get like an extra 250 dollars if we do a training jump before we leave and it's like uh no and like that's like, I'll give you the $250. I'm not going to do it because at Walter Reed, there's actually a Rumbon garage. It was like a psychiatrist who wanted to do one of those feel good jumps with the troops. 
and uh, he died. And so I was like, I don't need a garage named after me. And so we get there. Um, you're right. It was like at that time, I think the, the surge was going on in, in Iraq. We we're kind of on again, off again. That's a lot of the ways that, that deployment orders go. It's like, particularly when you're in the small units, is that they'll say you're going to one place and then the next week you're going to another place. And so we ended up um, getting our orders changed from Iraq to Afghanistan. And so Afghanistan is very mountainous. And so there's about 20 people on a forward surgical team, uh, three general surgeons and an orthopedic surgeon. And so we split. And so one went down to the southern portion and we were up on the eastern, eastern Afghanistan border and Organi, but in Paktika Providence. And that's where a lot of the Taliban fighters would come from Pakistan to go fight down in, in Coast Providence and Helmand and things like that. So it was a pretty mountainous area. And I was there with a general surgeon by the name of John, John O and a great group of other team members from, uh, from Fort Bragg. They're all active duty people. So it was, it was cool. And so, yeah, so when we got there, so it's, you have to, you fly into Bagram and then you have to helicopter out to like your forward operating base. And it used to be an SF base. And so it had been kind of like fortified up, but there's a lot of ANA, which is Afghan National Army guys there. And when we first got there, it was the 173rd there out of Vincenza, Italy. There were the infantry uh, brigade that was kind of stationed there. And so, you're the newbie, so you have to kind of go and sit through briefings as to how things are. And we're in the middle of this the, the orientation briefing, and the uh, XO goes, uh, this is the end of the briefing, go to the bunkers. And it's like, okay. And so it's like kind of eerie because it's kind of getting to be dark, but all of a sudden you hear like these incoming rockets. And like you're sitting there in the bunker, and like I'm sitting there like, I'm in goddamn Afghanistan. There's no war supposed to be going on here. Why the hell am I sitting here? And then they go, oh, the medics building's on fire, you know, because they had a direct hit on our on our barracks and it kind of caught fire. And so that got put out. And then we're like, there's a couple ANA guys got hit. We took them back to the aid station. One of the dudes had like a rock that went through his spine. He was dead. And then a couple of them had some boo-boos. But it was like, this is going to suck. And like you haven't been here for like you know five days, and it's like the next day our NCOIC had a seizure, had to be medevaced out. And it's like this is not going to go well. And it's only 180 days, but it feels like 180 days when you're there, and you count down every day. It's like man, when when can I get out of this place? But yeah, so we moved we moved barracks, and you know middle of the night, and you're like all your all your stuff had like the smoke and dust and stuff like that from being hit. And, and fortunately, uh, it was our OR nurse who, like my bunk, you know, like our thing was like right next to each other, first took the direct hit. And, you know, if we'd have just been sitting there racking out, it would have been a bad situation. So it was a bad situation, but it could have been a lot worse. Crazy. Well, I, I want to get into this, this story. It's like one of the most amazing stories I, I've heard. Um, and, and was, and you know, the one I'm talking about, um, yeah. mm -hmm. was that on this deployment? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, I was looking, so like uh, a, a I don't say diary, but I journaled a lot when I was there because you got some extra time. So it's like, 
you have like uh, periods of a lot of busyness and then a lot of periods of working out and then a lot of periods of just like this sucks and I just want to go home. And so like I've journaled the experience. And so it was almost toward the latter part of our deployment. Um, it was on March 16th of 06, um, in which, you know, just kind of a nice day. You're kind of like doing a normal thing, get some, get some food at, at the dining facility, go work out. And then we got this phone call. And so they're called ticks, like troops in contact. And so you're on the, the radio and you can hear like when they kind of get shot at. And so basically, um, because it's so mountainous, is they're in this little wadi. And so the, it was at that point in time, the 173 kind of moved out. And it was the 10th mountain was there. And the guys were going down the wadi and they, they're in the low ground and all the bad guys are on the high ground. They just start letting them have it like RPGs, like small arms fire and things like that. And so um, we heard about it. And then again, oh, there's, there's some casualties, U.S. casualties. And so we got the medevac request and we said, yeah, we'll take it. And then it ended up being four. So there's two um, Afghan National Army and then two U.S. troops. And the way they do it is you, you kind of like um, triage. It's like two sorts. So you triage. So you have like either person has got a, it's kind of minor. They're like the walking wounded or if they're expected means that you probably shouldn't waste a lot of resources on them because they're probably going to not make it. And so the one was expectant, and then we had two like urgent surgicals, um, and then the other two ANA. So they came, and uh, it's really out in the middle of nowhere. So everything gets medevaced in on, on the helicopters. And so John O and I went out, and he, being a general surgeon, he triages like I, I take all the people who are yelling and screaming because it's like, okay, I got it. Airway breathing, good. Like I don't have to worry about you dying on me, at least not right now. And so take the guys yelling and screaming. And the one AMA guy kind of like lost a lot of his fingers and you know, turning them on and he's like going like this. It's like, dude, you know, that's fine. You can kind of go to the next level of care. The other guy had a gash in his head. And then the the other US casualty had, you know, like I hate. EMT stuff and things like that, but basically they cut his nose was cut off. And so he goes like this and flops open his nose, like put that back, you know, just take it back, you know. But none of those are like, although they need something, they're not something that needs urgent surgery. And then there's like this dude, he was on a stretcher and he had like a, a shrapnel injury. And so um he came back to, he went back to the aid station and the other three, we just said, Hey man, they're, they're not, we can't take, it's only like a two, one bed OR. And so like these other guys, they're not going to die from these wounds. They got to move up to the next higher level of care. So I think they went to Salerno or something like that. And so then we <laughs> um, do the unwrapping of the package and the uh, guy's name was Channing Moss. He's a private from like Georgia, and he was like the gunner in the in the Humvee. And so what had happened is that um, they're getting shot at from above, and like an RPG is like a big football, and then it has like the propellant, and it has these fins that kind of like guide it through the air. And so he started unwrapping, and it's like shit, you know, like this. There's like these fins sticking out of this dude, 
And it's like, this is not a shrapnel. I was like, what the hell is this? And so we had an x-ray, but the x-ray didn't work. And then finally the x-ray worked. And what had happened is that um, the big football end, which is kind of like what hits the object and it causes the explosion, which makes the little molten lava that kind of penetrates things, it kind of broken off. But the M80 portion, like the 5M80, like the thing that kind of causes the explosion, was still inside moss with these like fins sticking out. And so unfortunately, or fortunately, you, you kind of train for this. But unfortunately, we trained for it before we left and we felt pretty miserable. So we're sitting there like, oh, this didn't work out well in training. You know, like this unexploded ordinance thing, you know, like apparently all three of it, uh, three of us died and stuff like that. It's like, this is not cool. But what, what I body was it doing? So it, it came in from his, 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 his left, his down. So his, the fins were sticking out of his left side. And then the, the tube went through his abdominal cavity and the, the detonator portion was sitting right in front of his right hip. And so we finally got the x-rays and, and there's the EOD guys that are exposed to those crazy like explosive ordnance disposal guys. Fortunately, they were on our fob that day. And they're, they're stationed on our fob, but they're actually in our fob that day. And so we're saying like, we don't know that. We just know this I'm not supposed to be in this person's body, but like, what the hell is it? And so uh, Dan Brown, who's like, uh, I think at East 7 at that time, East 6 or East 7 at that time, he comes in, he looks at it, and he's like all over it. He knows, he knows what's going on, right? He goes, oh yeah, this is like this old Russian like RPG. He has good news. He has, you know, like the big football thing. It broke off somewhere along the line. Bad news is, is you may not bring the building down, but you could lose your your hands. And it's like you got Jesus, like <laughs> you know, Brown, you know, we're surgeons, like, like that's not so cool. He goes, yeah, but I think I think you're going to be fine. I think. How'd you guys do in the training? I mean, you're good, right? We got this. Yeah, yeah. It was like, what? This is a dirt ball, and this like this animal and it's just like let's take why do put the nerf ball in it's like throw that out and it's like oh that was an unexploded one it's like oh shit <laughs> and so but now we at least knew what we were dealing with and uh you know one of the big things is and i'm sure that you know other people that have been on here and you know like guys like ryan and joe is that um everybody says you know you're not a hero you don't you know you're just doing your job and, you know, that's what we kind of came up with. It's just like, this could go horribly wrong, okay? Uh, we're probably not supposed to do it because these triage is expectant. But it's just like, would we really be doing our job if we didn't try to do something to help this guy? Because he was talking. I mean, he talked and he kind of, you know, he faded out. Um, but it's just sort of like, this is our job, so we got to do it. So we took him back and... Um, you know, Dan was there, he had a hacksaw. And so like in order to get the the fins off, he just hacksawed the, the fins off off his left side. So I'm standing on his left side, Johnny O is on the other side. And so uh, Dan hacksaws off the fins. Now we got this big ass tube still in, in the guy's body. And we're like, okay, well, I guess we're gonna take it out now. And so the, the fin portion was easy because it had a big hole there on the left side. 
And then John, you know, exposed and went through the belly. And then over there, kind of opening up above his left thigh. And that's where like the little detonator thing was. And so I remember John. <laughs> so John said, here's what you do, man. He goes, put your hand up on his chest and like put all the pressure you can on his aorta. Because if we kind of tear his aorta, it's going to be game over. And so we kind of been able to get it. And fortunately, you know, it's, it was videotaped. And so like one of the EOD techs was behind Sergeant Brown. So if you ever see the video, is that the, it's being passed out through his right side where John O was. I'm sitting there with all my, my hands on his aorta and chest. And it's like, okay. And then it got delivered out. And it's actually weird because it actually took a piece of his belt through his abdomen. And so we have pictures of it, and you know it was a good thing as we documented because people would say like, "No, effing way, this ever happened." And you know it's like, "No shit, it, it did happen." And so had the uh, got it out, and then like we're sitting here like, "All right, what the hell do we do now?" I like, and so yeah, he had a lot of bowel injuries, and you know, but fortunately no no major vessel injuries. He had a big ass piece of his pelvis on his left side that was chunked out but you know so we washed it out and basically our job is is to kind of pack him up and send him to the bottom and so he left alive and then we kind of were able to track him through the system and he made it back to, to Walter Reed and he, he survived and uh, one of the the best times from that deployment is we actually came back and I was still stationed at uh, Port Belvoir in, in the DC area at the time and so, you know, John and I both needed some closure on the whole episode. And it's just like, not to like, hey man, you always, it's just sort of like, we just want to like, hey, you know, how are, how are you? And fortunately I had trained there. So like a lot of the guys who were still attendings there uh, took care of him. So I was able to say, is he good enough to kind of have visitors and stuff? So he got transitioned over to the Fisher house. And so John and I kind of made a trip and, and went and visited him. It was, um, he had a, a wife at the time who was pregnant. So just sort of like, yeah, I think we did some good that day and just kind of moved on. But I mean, like, I, I think that, you know, you hear it, it's kind of common. It's like, you're not a hero, but you, you work with a company of heroes. And, you know, everybody that day kind of put themselves in, in jeopardy. But it's just because of the fact that, our jobs as surgeons is to do surgery, and if we wouldn't have done it, and we'd had a guy that somebody wouldn't have on this side, um, I think that would have been hard to live with. So fortunately, it worked out well for us. That whole having a pregnant wife when you get there as well, I mean, that's, that just like wraps that story up in a bow, like, holy oh, yeah. hell, yeah. that's crazy. Like, what was the decision tree with everyone around? Because you had everyone kind of helping you. I mean, even someone filming it. Yeah. Was it like you drew a line to Sam, like, okay, who's willing to lose their hands or whatever? And, and everyone Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, we tried to, like, um, sit there and everybody, I remember John, John was clearly the leader of that team. And he said, look, everybody looked at each other. So you don't have to do this. But, you know, if you want to do it, we're all going to do it together. And if you don't want to go, you don't have to say anything. You can leave right now. Everybody just kept doing their job. 
And it was just sort of like you just kind of kept your head down. It's like, no, I know. this is what we're here for. We'll see how it works out. Yeah, the next day we got a little bit bitched at by our commander. Like, what the hell are you doing? You know, we shouldn't have done that. But it's just sort of like, well, I think that the end result was worth it. So. Yeah, that's so, so military right there. Well, that's when you say, well, we'll just get this kid senator involved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We always get out of trouble. Yeah. Man, this, that's a crazy, awesome story. Have you, have you talked to him any since? Or no, no, and like we did like a little follow-on um, when he's still recovering. He got out of the um, Fisher house. But this is like, gosh, this is a long, long time. It was like yeah. 2006. So it's probably like, I haven't seen 2007 or so. Two, you know, probably like 2007 or so. But then, um, yeah, I kept in touch with John O. I mean, he's a good dude. He's up in Penn State. And, Nice. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I was lucky enough to see some of that video that you had. And so it was, it was, it was a crazy, crazy yeah. thing, man. So and that's, what's wild taking an RPG like that and surviving is, is wild. I mean, that's a, I, there was a, a kid that we had a Marine took an RPG right into his thigh um, and took his quad off. He, he was actually in that 60 minutes piece we did about regrowing his thigh, but but yeah, oh, wow. you know, these guys, that, that's taking a real bullet there when you're freaking taking RPGs with your body. Oh, for sure. And and like, you tell it. Yeah, and you're there. I mean, like, and it's kind of like after the, the, we were starting to take a lot more casualties down at, at Brook, that they're bypassing Walter Reed there for a while after that yeah. little expose. But, you know, you saw, I mean, like, and the, the biggest difference for me being at both Walter Reed and at Brook is the burns. I mean, like, some of those guys, man, yeah. uh, that was kind of hard to, but you know, again, a lot of those guys, they just kind of keep trucking along too. I know. We, one of them was a friend here in town and, and he's more successful than us now. Yeah. A really burnt guy and wind savage. And I know you. Yeah, know. exactly. Exactly. Take care of him. So, well, man, that's an awesome story. Thanks for coming on, brother. You miss, you miss being back at the base in the military and all that? Um, I mean, like I miss the people. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, I mean, like, there, there's nothing that's ever going to recreate, you know, what we had at the CFI and the collaboration with surgeons and just like the, like, hey, man, this is a tough problem. You know, we all got to work, work at this. I mean, like, I think your, your work has been outstanding with the VFR, um, bringing that not only to us, educating us as surgeons, right? Um but seeing what it could do to kind of really up the level of rehab for for these guys that have really kind of injuries that you're never ever kind of necessarily seeing like civilian practice when you're not at a level one trauma. And, and even some of them, I mean like, you know, because we did that level one trauma there too. And people say, oh, wow, you know, this is, this is really bad. Or I mean like the funniest thing now for me is it's like when a person comes in and they have like, a, shattered ankle or tibia but it's closed right and there's no bone sticking out and they go is this the worst thing you've ever seen <laughs> and i go i can tell you no it's not um let me tell you about an rpg story <laughs> yeah or just like hey you know yeah this happens on a guy that doesn't have two limbs either so yeah you know and i think that all those type of things and that that collaboration and, and although our group was great and we have like therapy basically in every office. And so it's always nice to kind of be able to walk down and talk to the therapist. Like, Hey, you know, this, 
how how are they doing? And like it's, it seems like they're kind of like a little bit slow and getting back to speed and stuff like that. So I think that part of the the collegiality and the um, you know just solving big problems. Yeah. You know, you know, it's the only only can see so much plantar fasciitis. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and, stuff. and people think this is like the worst thing in the world it's like you're going to get better it hurts in the morning it, it hurts in the morning feels like some hot poker is like you're going to do fine trust me you're going to do fine i mean like and so yeah and so seeing guys that i remember i forget his, forget his name now but um horrible injury had like uh big it had an amputation on one side like big open tibia fracture, needed soft tissue coverage and kind of took care of him and then went on a leave for like a week. And, you know, Mickey Cho was going to do this big free tissue transfer. And so he did a big lap flap. And so I called the residents like, hey, man, how's the captain so-and-so doing? He goes, well, he died. And it's like, what? He goes, yeah, he died on the table, but they were able to get him back. And it's like, Okay, how's he doing now? And they go, he's doing fine. And so nobody ever knew why it happened, but he flatlined on the table. So you come back and you know he has like the little wounds and he has like little scab here and there. And he's up and walking and he's like bitching about this scab. And he's like, man, this thing is not like healing over. And like it's gonna eventually heal over. And then kept on bitching about it. It's like, bro. I think you are dead. I mean, like, this is not going to be that bad. I mean, like, you're going to do fine because you died. Now you're here and things are going to be fine. And I think um, he's one of those guys that got out and went on to like some professional career, like a lawyer or a doctor. And it's just like, yeah, seeing the, the fortitude of the real soldier, um, it, yeah, you miss that because like people, people sometimes just think that their problems are really bad until but they haven't seen some of this stuff. So it was humbling every day. I, I, yeah. I couldn't walk in with a poo poo face. It was like, yeah, I got, I got to have my game on because yeah. these, these guys and girls aren't, aren't showing it. So yeah, I miss it, man. I miss the teamwork. That was, that was just crazy how everyone just came together with a mission. Um, so, and, and Kyle, Joe Shu, who we had last on the last one, he just constantly got me in trouble. Like he really shook the bushes and, and really pissed off everyone. Um, command wise and Kevin always could keep me out of trouble. So yeah. Kevin's much more level-headed. <laughs> uh, the the angel and the devil would, on your shoulder. Yeah, she would definitely. So it's funny because when we, we built and he'll probably hate me down the story, but like, um, is our boss was Jim Fickey. He's also a really great guy. He's up at Hopkins now. He's like the, the chair up there, but we're, we're building a new portion of the hospital. And so, the the staff had to kind of like consolidate offices and so Vicky came up and he goes um I think you're the only person that has the temperament to share the office with Joe and he goes we do and I go sure and like it actually was like the best year and a half two years however we had because he's such a passionate guy about his work and technically very proficient and you know yeah, he kind of, he, he's, he all, he had this saying, he probably wasn't like this, because much rather stab you in the chest than stab you in the back, yeah. you know? 
And so it's like, here's kind of a guy who would punch him in the chest yeah. and like make no apologies for it. But I, and I think that with that is brought the BFR, like the bracing concepts and you know, really kind of helped a lot of people over time. Did you ever hear the lights out story with Vicky and? No. So we're in a big fight because um, Joe was trying to get all the limb salvage into the CFI. And so we were fighting with um, Jennifer. Um, the, the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a couple, you know, and some other folks were there. And I mean, they're screaming in Vicky's office at each other, like standing up, you know, you're, you're doing this in a certain way. You want these things. And I'm just kind of like getting lower and lower in my chair. Vicky sneaks around and goes and turns the light off, lights off in his office. And it's just like pitch dark. <laughs> and everyone's just like, it, it shuts you up in a second. Like I try to use it on my daughters all the time now. And everyone's just looking around like, what the hell? <laughs> in, in the dark, you just hear Vicky say, are we done now? And then he turns the light back on. Yeah, he's a good man. I mean, like, yeah. He has a lot of good techniques. To... That's why he's running Hopkins now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Well, cool, man. Thanks for coming on, brother. And, no uh, way. Just yeah, how much yeah. I love Kevin Kirk. I took my daughter for her little minor foot problem to him. So. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> I was well, I like, those guys. Yeah, we always, we all, you know, if you stop traveling as much, we, maybe we can have get you out to the beer. Now you're selling my wife. Stop traveling. Yeah. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Thanks, all right, Kevin. brother. All right. Be well. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Owens Recovery Science Podcast. Owens Recovery Science is a single source for PTs, OTs, ATCs, DCs, MDs, and other medical professionals seeking certification in personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training. Find them online at owensrecoveryscience.com.